Hi, this is Kalia. And this is Chris. And this is It's, it's a, a Queer, queer thing. thing. On this show, we focus on politics, civil rights, news, and entertainment. And on this show, we have special guests and interviews focusing on issues relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. So let's get to it. Hi, Chris. Hi, Kalia. My God, it's December 1st. It is. It is. This is the month of my birthday, the month of your birthday, the month of Hanukkah and Yule and Kwanzaa and New Year's Eve and Christmas And trees. Charlie Brown's Christmas on TV. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> All the Hallmark movies. Did you hear that there's going to be a Hallmark, a lesbian Hallmark movie that gets released? I think it's like on December 16th or 17th. No, I heard there was going to be a gay one, but I didn't hear about the lesbian one. Let's see here. There's going to be six new films and two queer Christmas movies coming out this year. Yep. six. Yeah. I didn't know there was a lesbian one. How cool is that? Friends and Family Christmas is queer. Okay, with it has that fake dating trope, right? Okay, and then yeah. there's Christmas on Cherry Lane. Yeah, so that's I mean, actually is the gay. What is the gay movie on Prostate Lane? Is that where it is? Or well, okay, so the Christmas on Cherry Lane actually has three stories that intertwine. It's a young couple preparing for their first child, an empty nester, and her fiance ready to start a new chapter in life, and a couple which is Bennett and Rodriguez, which is the gay boys, the gay boys who unexpectedly have the chance to expand their family. So that's, that's the cherry lane for them. The queer women, that's the one that's friends and family. That's queer Canadian actor, Ali Liebert and queer Ginny and Georgia star, um, Humberly Gonzalez taking part in that beloved fake dating trope. So what do you mean by fake dating trope? What is? Oh my goodness! Oh, Chris, you sweet summer child. So in romance, I've been married for twenty-seven years. I don't know anything about dating. Well, okay, but in romance, there's a couple of different tropes, and one of the big ones, there's like you know, friends to lovers. That's a trope, right? Okay, right. so the fake dating is like, oh no, I have to have a date to the holiday party, and I do not have one, so I will have you come and pretend to be my date. Then everyone will think I'm cool. Oh, am I accidentally getting feelings for you? No, but I cannot, for it is a fake date. You know, you're writing one right now, aren't you? <laughs> I have just seen some. Like they're oh, all okay. the same. I think the the proposal. We should I write mean, one. I think we should we should write one. We should definitely. I mean, yeah, it's and I think you should star in it because you're <laughs> you've evidently got the chops there. Oh, yes, exactly. Oh no, you know. That's 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 the thing. It's all dramatic and yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought we were just pretending to fall in love. Are we really falling in love? No one could really love me. I'm so awkward and weird and quirky. I love it. Yeah. Anyways, so. I mean, I hate it, but I love it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So good. Good on them. Good on on Hallmark. They yeah, because was this two the out one... of the six? They came up with six new movies this year. Who and was the one that are... was complaining, the Christian actress that was saying she's not oh. going to be on? Was that Hallmark? Well, okay, so she was on Hallmark. She made her own channel. She was from uh, Full House. Full House, right. And yeah. she was saying, I'm not going to be a part of this if there's any gay stuff on it. Was that the Hallmark channel? Yeah. And so she went off and made her own channel. Of oh, because Hallmark said, fuck you, we're going to. Basically. Okay, good for them. Yeah. 
yeah so huzzah that's a third of the new christmas movies from hallmark are queer so that is exciting so yes december we're off to a, a good start in december i think yeah do you have any special christmas or yule or whatever you sell festivus <laughs> tradition festivus for the rest of us no <laughs> um yeah we do christmas uh so but no big deal i mean we don't make a big deal out of it we don't even always buy each other gifts we're buying this year but we don't always buy each other gifts um sometimes we just are together because it's really about people being together not commercialism and capitalism but i i asked for a little capitalism this year (laughs) well we celebrate yule which is also primarily about being together and community and because it's pagan it's also a lot about food and candles <laughs> so Those it's are good yeah definitely and um we will we do presents and i have a child obviously so there's presents now is there a date for yule or is it the whole month or um no it is the winter solstice so it is the celebration of the shortest day of the year slash the longest night of the year so it's which usually is the my 20... birthday yeah exactly right? the 22nd exactly yeah. The 20th, 21st, 22nd, it kind of moves the calendar a smidge. But yeah, it's right in there and sunset to sunset. And the whole point is that this is the longest night. So, you know, you, you've heard of the Yule log, right? You light up a candle right. or a log and it burns all night. And the idea is that, okay, we're going to get through the dark part of the year, but tomorrow things will instantly start getting better. Tomorrow there okay. will be more sunshine than today. And I, I love it. I love the idea that um, everything's cyclical. You know, and bad things happen and then good things happen and bad, you know, and it just, it, we're just in a circle. We're just going around and, and that dark well, I time. I will make is... sure I light something up on, yeah. on Yule night. I don't, I can't say it'll be a log, but it might be something <laughs> that can be lit up. But one of the things that we do in our family is that we light candles and I will have my candle that's lit and then I will light, you know, whoever's next to me, their candle, which isn't lit. And now it is. And then they will light the next candle and on around till everybody's candle is lit. And the fun part is that my candle still has its flame. And the the symbolism here is that it doesn't cost you anything to share your light with others. Your light is still there. So okay. when you when you give love and support to other people, you you know, you're not having to sacrifice your own stuff. It's it's all part of community. And then all the candles together make a beautiful light and are much brighter than it would be just one candle by itself. So oh, excuse me. I'm tearing up just oh shush (laughs) (laughs) anyways it's beautiful Uh, it's (laughs) beautiful people no that's nice i like that and then there's presents and stuff so that's yeah yeah of course there's presents it's america (laughs) well you know so yeah but i'm looking forward to charlie brown's christmas special and we have the cd and we play that all the time and we try and do the charlie brown dance which we never share with anybody because it would be embarrassing but we do that okay what's your favorite christmas music I really like the John Denver and the Muppets CD. Oh my <laughs> fucking God. What? It's so cute. I, I don't even so know that one. Was that really? a John Denver release or a Sesame Street release? No, not Sesame Street. The Muppets. It's, it's the um, same thing. It is not. The uh the John Denver and the Muppets. And there's like, you know, there's the classic songs, and then there's, you know, there's a couple of just John Denver songs. Is there a Miss Piggy and John Denver duet? Um, well, she's part of the now bring us some piggy pudding song. Oh my god, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> okay, I know what I'm getting you for Yule this year. <laughs> I want to know that joke, I want to know the piggy pudding joke. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited. I bet you Kermit was involved with that. I'm sure he was. It's very cute, and I love it. I love that, and then, um, I like listening to the Messiah and the Nutcracker, those are probably my top three. 
that I, I play pretty cool. consistently in the month. So, yeah. We sometimes yeah. play Mannheim Steamroller or um, James has a couple that he plays. But yeah, that's the one of the great things about Christmas season is the music. Yes, I agree. I yeah. definitely agree. I've, and of course, it's out everywhere. And um, I've been because right now we can and... say we've had enough of food because we went through Thanksgiving. And oh, my uh, God, a lot of yeah. food. Did three you had like what three 50 thing oh three thanksgivings three thanksgiving dinners and then a thanksgiving party so oh my god four, so four and events. then they rested right i mean yeah and then we rolled ourselves <laughs> off to it it was a lot it was multiple days worth and there were it was a variety though there was one day where we had pumpkin gnocchi there was one day where we had duck there was one day where we had smoked turkey i mean it was it was eclectic and did it was you have amazing. cheesecake yes there was pumpkin cheesecake on the first day yeah. Oh. You know what I, I always think of when I and I think of it because I watch Food Network a lot to get ideas for recipes and stuff. I always think around the holidays, God help us if anybody from a country that has food issues tunes in and sees in America, like especially when you see the Food Network competitions where they build these huge things of food. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, who knows what happens to them if anybody eats them or not. But I always think, my God, look at us. We're so brazen in America with all this food when there are people starving around the world, which of course I'm not saying those two correlate with each other. There's no solution necessarily, but. Okay. So this made me think of something years ago. I, I watched the occasional episode of South park. Okay. Uh, okay. And that for better, or for worse, sometimes it was funny. Sometimes it was not, I outgrew it, whatever, but there was one plot point and I don't, I don't remember the whole episode, but there was like a, a foreign exchange student or, or they had adopted somebody from some other country. And this, this, this other child showed up and this child was very hungry. And that was like the thing. And they, they went out to eat and they, the appetizers came at the table. And from what I remember, cause it's been a really long time, the, the person, the child was like very excited about the appetizer food. And I think it was Cartman said, no, 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 don't worry. This is the food that we eat before we eat the food. And like, just <laughs> exactly. like the animation of that character going like, oh my God, like you don't just have a meal. You have the meal before the meal, right. before the meal. And, and then, then the there's leftovers. courses of the meal and the love. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it was like, yeah, it is. We are very privileged in this country. Oh, and, yeah. And I know that food scarcity and food deserts are a very real problem. Even in this country, you know, most of the, every family in fresno unified school district is under the poverty like like there's enough of them so that like all the schools are considered like i think it's like level one or whatever so they do the free lunches because the oh, poverty wow. level here in fresno is pretty extreme but we still in comparison there's there's a lot of food for people so yeah i mean i heard people at work all week talking uh telling people on the phones oh yeah i ate this i ate that i ate that i'm like my god we're so i mean lucky yes in this country to mm -hmm. have all this bounty but also it sometimes it makes you feel like a little i need to go out and do something yeah i really like the fact that a lot of grocery stores um will have the thing while you're checking out where you can buy the the bag of food the 20 at, at grocery outlet it's 25 dollars, and you just you add an extra 25 dollars to your bill and then they fill up this bag with shelf stable stuff that gets donated right right and there's a lot a lot of grocery stores do stuff like that and a lot of they're like this is the time of the year where and they want you to donate money because they got to make the money last all year long. Right now people right. are donating food, but in March and April and you know in the middle of summer there's not as much food coming in so they need the right. money and and stuff. So anyways, you guys can go back and listen a year ago Chris and I on our episodes podcast episode we talked to the Central Valley uh food bank 
coalition and uh, there's important information there about how you can support local Absolutely. food banks and, and pantries. So a good way to give back for sure. Yes. Okay, Chris. Sadly, I do have to talk about something that happened earlier this week because okay. we've been following the story. The Fresno County Board of Supervisors did have their second follow-up meeting and they did go ahead and push through that stupid and incorrectly named Parents Matter resolution that Good is point. going to uh, make that that exciting panel of people who will get to look at all the books that are going to be in the in the children's section of libraries and um it it we it was a provisional pass the last time we talked about it but it is an official pass now and PFLAG is doing a really great job thank you Drew of uh, spreading the word and getting information and you can see the links they have uh, information about how you can apply to be on said panel of people which would be really funny if oh if, wouldn't that be great if all the LGBTQ people yeah. or some of us and apply I never even thought of that each of them get to appoint people to be on the, on this panel on this committee so you know th there's a chance that a few of the people on the committee will be appointed by people who think that this committee shouldn't exist and hopefully that means that they will they will help us you know get some yeah i just want to say goals. right before we came on I, I i read diane pierce's our clovis city council members post this is her own words this is the last paragraph of her post pierce acknowledged that the county library system already has in place a process through which people can file a complaint and ask that a book or material be reviewed. Let me reread that. There's already in place a process through which people can file a complaint and ask that a book or material be reviewed. That process, Pierce said, quote, works if you have a single item to express concern about, but she added, we've identified a more widespread issue, and I think this act allows for a more widespread solution to addressing controversial material and seeking its review, unquote. So BS again on Diane, because she admits right there that there's already a process in place to do this. But then she said she tries to rally her base by saying, oh, but it's worse than that. Even though we have a system in place, we need to come over that system and do our own thing. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot of people are saying, and I think this is true, that we're going to see this settled in the courts. And the unfortunate thing is that, that is time and money and right. resources. And my goodness, it's just so unnecessary. And I, I that's mean, the key word. It's unnecessary. Yeah. And this is why local elections matter. Right. <laughs> this is why local elections matter. So, yeah. Yes. Anyway, so that happened. And we will keep you informed. And again, check out PFLAG. They are doing a wonderful job of, of, you know, providing a lot of links and ways to get involved. So thank you, Drew. Okay, so I do have a, a little bit of another bit of good news to transition us away from the Board of Supervisors. Would you like to hear my little bit of good news? I would love to hear some good news. Okay, so <laughs> hello, fellow geeks and nerds and sci-fi people out there. As you may or may not know, the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who just happened, and they released a special, which was awesome. And if you follow Doctor Who, then you know that David Tennant has come back to reprise the role in, in this special, and also uh, the character of Donna Noble, which is a big deal in fandom. Okay, but here's why how it's connected to us. I cannot tell you all, because I'm not giving away spoilers, but I will tell you that there is an important person in the brand new 60th anniversary Doctor Who special, who is trans and who is awesome. And there's also a character in this episode who's in a wheelchair. And I, when, when, and I thought to myself, oh my, and they make comments 
they're clearly responding to all the people who are like, Doctor Who's becoming too woke. How dare they have lesbians in Doctor Who and blah, blah, blah. Oh, right? shut up. Really? Seriously. The nerds are saying this? Oh, there's a lot of gatekeeping weirdos out there, Chris. There really wow. are. But anyways, this episode, this this special, the 60th anniversary special is amazing. It is woke AF and it is beautiful and it is... I. Well, is this a secret? How did you find out about this? I watched it. <laughs> oh, so it's not a secret. You just don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil what happens, but I will tell you, 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 if you know enough about like all you really got to know is that he's a time lord and he travels around in a box and he, you know, writes what was wrongs and he, you know, has adventures. You can basically jump right into the special because they do a really big exposition dump at the beginning. You don't have to have seen years and years worth of Doctor Who episodes, and I think you will still get. How freaking beautiful. And I mean, I cried. I I cried and cried during this episode. So please go watch it. That is happy news. And it's a wonderful thing to watch. So how many episodes of the this is a new season or just a special? So they do special because it's British, right? So they do series, not seasons, kind of. And they are okay. shorter. And then they have like Christmas specials and anniversary specials, which are kind of longer episodes. I don't exactly know the minute count of this one because I wasn't looking at the clock, but it they're usually a little bit longer and they are like in between the series, in between the oh, quote unquote okay. seasons, they'll have specials. They usually have a Christmas special. This year, this one is a little earlier because like I said, it's the 60th anniversary. Anyways, it's it's beautiful and wonderful and cool. you should all go and watch and it. And is David Tennant Doctor Who in this one? Did you say he that? Yes, he's he reprising okay. his role because one of the things about Doctor Who is that the because he's an alien, he can quote unquote die. He regenerates and then a new actor or actress. He's different every season, right? Over. Or every series. Or every whatever. every few, yeah. Sometimes okay. he lasts for like, the one Didn't actor. I hear there was going to be a female Doctor Who? There was. Jodie Whittaker was a female Doctor. She had one season as the female Doctor and okay. a lot of people were real upset about it because they yeah, Oh my god. She did great, by the way. Some of her storylines weren't wonderful, but that's because they, they wrote bad stories, not because of her. Can and... I can I just say that we expect nerds to be tolerant? Don't wouldn't you think? I mean, I that's always what I've had in my head is that nerds are be more tolerant than the general public. But there has been backlash against Star Trek, Star mm -hmm. Wars, all these series because they had either Asian characters or female characters or whatever. Yeah, I love it. I love it when people are like, well, Star Trek's getting woke. And you're like, "Um, excuse me, did you not watch the original series? The whole original <laughs> series was woke, yeah. for God's sake. Seriously. And I love that in this particular Doctor Who special, like they cut, they hit it right on and they... There's, yeah, there's a lot of speaking right to the fandom kind of being like, shut up and sit down and right. we're going to make this super feminist and super awesome. And this trans character Yay. is super important and valid and beautiful. And yeah, so I, I freaking love it. So yay. Anyways, go watch Doctor Who, everybody. Okay. And I have a couple of good uh, news, good points to bring up. One is we have a couple of great entertainers coming to Fresno. Mm -hmm. We have John Waters. Yay. Coming to Fresno on March 29th, 2024 at 9 p.m. at the Tower Theater. And I'm looking at the theater right now and the seats are going fast. Kaylee and I have tickets. We sure do. If you don't know John Waters, then don't listen to this because I'm not going to explain John Waters to you, but he's brilliant. <laughs> Go see him. And the second part of this is Sandra Bernhard is coming to Fresno and she is being brought to Fresno by Community Link who runs Fresno Pride Festival and she is coming on May 11th Saturday May 11th at the Tower Theater tickets go on sale December 7th for that one and they start at $35 the doc the uh, John Waters tickets are already on sale so go get them while they're still out there yep very exciting Haley and I will be at both of these events we sure will 
We sure will. Okay. Well, I think we need to get into the main meat of our episode today because we are going to play you guys something that is a little bit on the longer side (laughs) and we want to preface it. So as you may or may not know, today, December 1st is World AIDS Day and that is important for a variety of reasons to our community, but it's very important to, you know, Chris and I specifically, um, we've both lost people and it, it's worth noting that AIDS is still around. It's different now than it was, but it's still relevant and it's still an important topic. So what we're going to do today is we are going to play for you an episode of a different podcast that Chris and I were on. It was uh, an older podcast that I used to do. It was called Pages and Popcorn, where we talked about movies based on books. And the episode that was recorded in December of 2019 was Chris and I discussing the book and then the HBO movie and the band played on, which if you don't know, is a book about the AIDS crisis, uh, the first five years or so of the AIDS crisis. So we're going to play that for you. uh, Most of it. I'm going to edit out some bits to try to kind of keep it a little bit tighter because it was a very long episode. And, and there's a very long recap at the beginning. Uh, You know, I I go through the whole book and then we talk about the movie as well. And we talk about the differences and and what we thought about both pieces of art, but I want to give you just a heads up that a, this, this was pre-COVID, so it's pre-Zoom. So Chris and I are actually in the same room during this recording, and you can hear our chairs creak. You know, creak. Oh, and we were in the same room. We were. We were in my old office because <laughs> I was listening to it yesterday, and I'm like, this sounds so much weirder than what we usually yeah. do. Yeah, we were in the same room, so the editing is a little funky, like, and the sound quality is a little great. And I was new to editing, so I I'm gonna try to fix what I can, but like, it's rough, guys. I'm just gonna tell you. But it shows you the evolution of our podcast as well as the evolution yeah. of the disease. For sure, for sure. For yes, yeah. Also, because it is 2019, it's it's definitely aged. Um, I towards the end we talk about, well, what's gonna be the next big horrible disease? You or know something? what? I when I listened to it, I heard myself saying, you know, this could happen again. We could have another disease after this that could affect women or could affect children or could affect whatever. And bam, the next year COVID hit. I know. Yeah. So it is very it is so it's prescient. It we is. are prognosticators. Oh, yes. Good word. $10 word there. Yeah, for sure. So there's there's that we have to tell you. And then also, of course, because it was 2019, we dropped some statistics. We dropped some numbers that are not quite relevant anymore. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a good chunk of that episode right now. And then we're going to come back at Chris and I here in the present day, and we're going to give you updated stats and just touch on a couple things real briefly and then kind of uh it's kind of like doctor who we're going to the past we're coming back to the present exactly oh should instead of the swoosh sound should i make like tardis noises yes absolutely you mean yourself or you're gonna get them <laughs> off the internet well if i tried to do it i feel like it would just be like a like an aging hippo having yeah, an allergic do that, reaction Kalia. don't so. do that Anyways, we're going to jump in, but then please listen through the whole thing because we're going to come back and give you some updated stats and then wrap up the show. So here we go. (laughs) Insert TARDIS noise now. Hello and welcome. 
welcome to the Pages and Popcorn Podcast, the podcast where I, Kalia, a huge book nerd, talk about movies based on books, as well as the original source material. Today I am joined by a very special guest to discuss the 1987 book and the band played on, which became the 1993 HBO special movie. Now, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to my very special guest. His name is Chris Jarvis, and he is an LGBT activist here in the Fresno Central Valley. And uh, Chris, say hello to the nice people. Hello, nice people in podcast land. There you go. I wanted to ask Chris specifically here because, well, Chris, why? Why do you have a personal connection to the book and the band played on? Well, I'm 58 years old, so I was 20 at when AIDS really started to take off, so to speak, in a bad choice of words, around 1982. And... I had one relationship at that time where I, so I got through 10 years of that and then I met somebody else and he ended up dying of AIDS. So I have, I've had a husband that died of AIDS. I've had many, many, many friends that died of AIDS. Very good friends who work in the AIDS arena in Fresno in the Central Valley. So it's really close to my heart. And Chris and I used to work together at a nonprofit here in Fresno, the Central Valley of California called Gay Central Valley, and we ran an LGBT community center for a while. It's no longer there. There's other groups that are doing some amazing work here in the Valley, as well as all over the world. But yes, so before I do my recap, real fast, can you tell me how you came to this book and movie? Did you hear about it when it first came out in 1987? 87, yeah. I did, and I, I did not read the book at the time for... A few reasons, but basically because I was a little too close to the AIDS crisis, losing friends. And I think I lost my first friend in 1986, uh, who was 23 years old, happened in Lake Tahoe. And oh. he was diagnosed and died within, it was less than a year. And nobody in Lake Tahoe even knew how to treat or think about AIDS. I remember I was in the room with him when the doctor came in to give him the diagnosis and the doctor was just white as a ghost when he walked in the room and his mouth was a little bit ajar. He literally did not know how to even say this because he hadn't even been confronted with it. So I, I didn't read it when it first came out because it was a little too close to things that were going on in my own life. And then uh, my husband died in 1994. Um, but I knew all about the book. I'd read all kinds of things about the book. I did see the miniseries, you know, probably, I don't know if I saw it when it aired in 93, but shortly after that, but I had you know, totally forgotten what it was until I watched it for this. Yeah. Okay. I knew it was a book. We read portions of it in a sociology class that I was in in college and then watched the HBO special miniseries thing in college uh, over the course of a couple of class periods. And so that was my exposure, just a couple of snippets of the book. And the book was always very intimidating. I don't know if you know people in podcast land, this book is 613 pages long. Woo! It is a major undertaking. It is, it is. <laughs> so yeah, extra points to Chris for well, coming and, on. <laughs> and that was another thing, reason I didn't read it at the time. I was like, 600 pages, my <laughs> gosh. It's hard to read 600 pages of anything. Um, and, you know, I'll save my little spiel about what I thought about the book really towards the end. But I, I will say that it it was 613 pages. It was all 613 pages. And it, it's worth it, though. It's it, definitely, definitely worth it. Worth it. But it is, and, and it's a testament actually to the writing to that you're still engaged exactly. at yeah. 613 yeah. pages in. Okay. So because it is a nonfiction book that that was converted, the recap is not a narrative structure kind of story the same way, even though the book 
is very chronological. Um, I've broken it down into slightly different things. So I'm going to talk for a whole lot to kind of give you a sense of what this book was about and then a very brief touch on what the movie did because the movie tried and, and with six, <laughs> that's a good word yes it did it tried very hard no that those aren't good words but it tried <laughs> it <laughs> okay okay so and the band played on the subtitle is politics people and the aids epidemic it's a 1987 book by san francisco chronicle journalist randy schultz the book chronicles the discovery and spread of the human immo- immunodeficient Okay, I'm just going to apologize in advance for my medical jargon, but here we go. Um, Human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, and acquired immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS, with a special emphasis on government indifference and political infighting, specifically in the United States, to what was then perceived as a specifically gay disease. Schilt's premise is that AIDS was allowed to happen while the disease is caused by a biological agent incompetence and apathy towards those initially affected allowed it spread and it became much worse. The book is an extensive work of investigative journalism written in the form of an all-encompassing timeline. The events that shape the epidemic are presented as sequential matter-of-fact summaries. The impact the politics involved in battling disease are on particular individuals in the gay medical and political communities. The discussion starts in 1977 with the first confirmed case of AIDS, that of Greta Rask, a Danish doctor working in Africa. And the book ends with the announcement by actor Rock Hudson in 1985 that he was dying of AIDS. This um, basically did a lot of international attention to the disease and everybody started talking about it in a much different way after Rock Hudson came out. AIDS in the United States most notably struck gay communities in L.A., New York City, and San Francisco. It's largely due to the general public's limited knowledge of the importance of protected safe sex and IV drug-using practices in preventing the transmission diseases in the 70s and 80s. Schilt sources in the gay community tried to remember the last time everyone they knew was healthy, and so there's this definite sense of before and after, before 1980, and then after 80 to 85 is kind of that middle period where people are starting to become aware and then after 85 and then everybody kind of knew and they had done a lot of work about education in san francisco particularly in the castro district gay community activists such as bill krauss and cleve jones found a new direction in gay rights where so many came down with the strange diseases in 1980 the san francisco department of public health began tracing the disease linked it to certain sexual practices and specifically a specific person and made recommendations like to stop having sex they tried to tell gay men to stop having sex to avoid getting sick but this directive that defied the chief reason why many gay men had migrated to the castro and for what gay rights activists in san francisco had fought for for years krauss and jones often found themselves fighting a two-fronted battle against city politicians who would rather not deal with the disease that affected only gay men or who were seen as undesirable population. The gay men themselves refused to listen to Dunday's prophecies and continued unsafe behavior. In New York City, there was Larry Kramer and Paul Poffin, who previously no, shown no desire for leadership or forced by bureaucratic apathy to form the gay men's health crisis to raise money for medical research and provide social services because the government and nobody else was doing it. Also, the sizable gay communities in most instances were responsible for raising the most money for research, providing the money for, and subsequently the social services for the dying, educating themselves and other high-risk groups. Okay, so doctors were the first to deal with the toll that AIDS would take on the United States. 
We've got a couple of name drops here. Uh, Marcus Conant and James Curran. They realized the professional life's courses in dealing with patient after patient showed up in their offices with these baffling diseases. So there's basically all these people were showing up with these diseases that you were not really ever supposed to get. And if you got, it was very, very random and very, very rare. But people were getting them because something, an underlying thing, which they turned out, it turned out was the retrovirus, was affecting the immune system. So people were actually getting these diseases. Like lymphodema, oh God, I can't say this word. Yeah, good luck with that one. Lymphodemopathy, pneumocystis, carnini, pneumonia, carposis, sar- carposis, carposis, sarcoma. sarcoma, toxoplasmosis, cytogalovirus, and cryptospordia. Yeah, cryptospordia. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So, again, everything was showing up because the immune system was being affected. But it took them a while to figure that out. The Public Health Department of San Francisco (laughs) tried to handle this information about this new communicable disease. They tried to trace people who were sick and link them to other people. And they tried to do this in San Francisco as well as other parts of the country. The New York City Public Health Department did very little. They said that it wasn't a big deal and that the gay community was handling it itself. Same time, gay men were getting sick in the United States. Doctors in Paris were receiving patients who were from African, who'd lived in Africa, were getting the same symptoms. So we had kind of a race to figure out what was causing it, both in Paris at the Pasteur Institute and at the National Cancer Institute here in America, with Dr. Robert Gallo was also working on the virus. There's a lot of drama about who discovered what and when and who had whose samples. Ultimately, the French had one retrovirus, Dr. Gallo had another, but they were actually the same one, which is why we call it HIV and not LAV and HILDN and all of these other things. And they have to share the credit. There's some drama. We'll talk about that. Departmental Ego and Pride, according to Schultz, also confounded the research and the National Cancer Institutes and the Center for Disease Control. They were obviously always arguing about funding and working on to create a possible vaccine. Once AIDS became known as a gay disease, there was particular difficulty for many doctors in different specialties to get other medical professionals to acknowledge that AIDS could be transmitted to people who were not gay, such as infants born from drug-using mothers, children, and adults who had hemophilia, and later their wives, Haitians, and people who had received blood transfusions. In fact, the discovery of AIDS in the nation's blood supply and subsequent lack of response by the blood bank leadership occurred as early as 1982. In 1982, they knew that the blood was potentially tainted. It wasn't until 1985 when there was an antibody testing started to be approved by the Food and Drug Administration that blood bank industries acknowledged that AIDS could be transmitted through the blood. Apparently, they didn't want to screen for hepatitis because they thought that even that would make people not come. So they It was were, money. It was all money. It's a lot of money involved and in, in how much it was going to cost. Oh, my God, there's so much. Okay. Uh, the Reagan administration officially said that they were, you know, looking into AIDS and it was our number one health priority, although no extra funding was ever given to the Centers of Disease Control and National Institute of Health for research for years and years. What Congress did pass was highly politicized and embattled and, and was a fraction of what similar other health problems had, you know, needed. The closure of the gay bathhouses was talked a lot about in the book because in the bathhouses, people were people were at higher risk to get AIDS by going to the bathhouses. But there was a lot of political infighting about whether or not the bathhouses should or should not be closed. And eventually, as a matter of public health, the bathhouses were closed. There was the general phobia of AIDS that was exacerbated by the news media who erroneously reported that AIDS could be contracted by household contact without checking any facts. This prompted mass hysteria around the United States. This is what led to people thinking that you could get it from toilet seats or by touching people who have AIDS. And there's 
a lot in the book about one particular man named Gayton Dugas. He was a Canadian flight attendant. He died in 1984. He was labeled patient zero because he was linked directly or indirectly to 40 of the first 248 reported cases of AIDS in the United States. And after he was told of his ability to infect others, he defiantly continued to have unprotected sex. The book also keeps a running tally of those infected and those dead. And the book, again, is 600 pages long. So as it continues through, it periodically stops and says, at this point in our story, X number of people had been diagnosed and X number of people died. By the time that President Reagan delivered his first speech on the epidemic, 36,058 Americans had been diagnosed with the disease and 20,849 had died. And that was in... 85. 85, yeah. yeah. And... One of the things that the book talked a lot about was the fact that the inoculation period was incredibly long. Nobody knew exactly how long it was made. So you could be exposed and a carrier for potentially five to seven years before you even started showing symptoms. And so in all of those times, you could give it to somebody else and not have any idea that you were doing so, which meant that in 1985, those numbers are they're just small now compared to what it actually became the epidemic just is so much bigger than that because it just it it was a cascade mentality just on top of that you you, even if you knew you had it at that time nobody well not nobody but a lot of people wouldn't talk about it because you could lose your job you could lose it you could lose everything Mm -hmm. because you could be ostracized to the point of exile so a lot of people i i knew people back then who had it but wouldn't tell people the film came out in 1993, which is you know, six years after the book. At the point when the film came out, it was basically a mixed bag in terms of news. Like so many more people were dying and had been diagnosed at that point. But there finally was starting to get a little bit of momentum towards finding a cure. Um, we still don't have a cure, but it, it, working on the cocktail. But even those medical advances took a while. And in 1993, we were still fighting this uphill battle. Yeah, well, I can tell you for a fact that the, the cocktail that was the mag- was the breakthrough happened 94, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Because my husband died in 94. He died just before the, the cocktails came out. Before that, it was AZT, which was toxic and all this other stuff. Then my husband actually refused to test. He was on AZT. He refused to take it after a while because the side effects were so awful, like a lot of people did. So it was around 94 that the, the medical breakthrough started to happen. And the book has an interesting thing. It says in 1985, when Rock Hudson came out, it changed the dialogue about AIDS and it made it kind of more obvious and uh, basically on the television sets of people. And of course, in a, in a very negative way, because there was so much misinformation happening, but at least it started to get talked about. And I think that the movie did the similar thing in 1993. It brought it back to the forefront of people's brains. Something that the book talked about that the movie didn't touch on at all, really, but I think is really, really important, has to do with the Tylenol situation. When people were getting poisoned by, by supposedly poisoned, more, more, I mean, some people were, but it was very, wasn't it very, very small? It's incredibly small. Yeah, yeah. In fact, isn't that what created the safety caps on on, on I think, medicine bottles? Yeah. So here's the, just to compare the, the the disparate reaction. The Chicago Tylenol murders in October 1982. Seven people died after seven, yeah. seven after ingesting cyanide laced Tylenol capsules. The New York Times wrote a front page story about the Tylenol scare every day for the month of October and produced 33 more stories about the issue after that. 
More than 100 law enforcement agents and 1,100 Food and Drug Administrator employees worked on the case. Johnson & Johnson disclosed they spent $100 million attempting to uncover who had tampered with the bottles. Seven people. Seven, Seven people. people. In October of 1982, 634 people were reported having AIDS, and of those, 260 had died. The New York Times wrote three stories in 1981 and three stories in 1982, none of which were on the front page. And I don't even, it wasn't even called AIDS by that point. No. It was called something else. I think it was, it was called grid, grid were, at yeah. that point. So, and disparity. Just so much disparity. That right there, and it's highlighted in the book, and it's highlighted in the movie, and, and one thing I'll say about the movie is it does highlight that part of it well. The, the fact that people didn't want to talk about this, they didn't want to be associated with it, even doctors didn't want to be associated because it was the gay disease, even though, of course, even at that time it was affecting other people. But this little tiny Tylenol thing, I remember that. I mean, that was a, that was a huge scare throughout the country. I mean, everybody, I mean, I think it's akin to you know, razor blades and apples, which never really happened. Mm -hmm. And that became a, a thing for years and years with people on Halloween, poisonous apples. But this was a very small number of people. And, and it led to them redesigning uh, medicine bottles around uh, around the world. I mean, they now it had that child protective cap on it. That's when that happened. Right. To um, keep people from tampering. To keep people from tampering. Seven people. Yeah. But and that yeah. shows you just by when you mentioned the news stories uh, in the paper. It's, it's, that's why life in America is so much about perception rather than reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, they perceive that this could happen to them and they get riled up and scared because Tylenol can affect anybody. In, in reality, AIDS can affect anybody, but they didn't even think of it that way. Right. They thought, in fact, as you know, a lot of people then were like, let the gay people die. We don't want them anyway. So right. that was another huge factor why they didn't deal with it. And they talked about that in the book, Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell coming out and saying things like, well, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. That's punishment. And yeah, that's okay. Wipe the world clean of them. Blight of San Francisco. And I think it's interesting because the book talked a little bit about in the 60s, we had our like sexual revolution and women got the pill. And so women were able to be sexually promiscuous and have body autonomy and hooray for sex. And that started to happen for gay men in the 70s. So, of course, there's there's lots of gay sex happening. And then there's this disease. And of course, people are like, well, don't have the gay sex. And there's a lot of people in the Castro and in San Francisco and in lots of other places who are saying, but we finally are able to be free. So telling us to not have sex is policing our bodies is now telling us, you know, the wrong way to be gay. And so there's a lot of it, it's a complex issue. To gay people at that time, it was just a, a deeper level of discrimination. Basically, what gay people thought, and I remember this clearly. Gay people thought, okay, because before 1980, like the 75 to 80, the level of acceptance for gay people was going through the roof. We were, we, uh, civil rights were being talked about, marriage was being talked about, gay people were going to be on TV like they were never on there before. I mean, it was a really amazing time, com not compared to what we have now, but in that time frame, it was pretty amazing what was happening. We thought we were on the cusp of equality. And then AIDS hit and destroyed everything. And there's more to talk about about that. But the sex with gay men, you know, this is the thing about sex with gay men, especially at that time. 
we had been so suppressed until that time, we could not even think about having sex with other men. And if so, it was clandestine and hidden and dangerous and all that stuff. And now, here in the late 70s, early 80s, sex was how we liberated ourselves. Mm-hmm. Not to mention we didn't want traditional relationships. Most gay men didn't want traditional relationships. So so sex to gay men was freedom. And when the, when the society came out and said, we need to close the bathhouses, which that's a whole other conversation, but... You know, they felt threatened because it wasn't about the sex to them. It was, even though it was, it was about, you're taking away our rights again. You're telling us we have to go hide somewhere. It's okay to be gay, but as long as you're in the background, we don't want you throwing it in our face. Like they still do a lot today. Right. Well, and a lot of distrust too. If you have a government system or a social system that has been regularly trouncing on you and treating you like other, it, they're not trustworthy when they say, oh no, it's it's for your own good to right. not act like yourself. And those right. things that you're doing that feel good and that are a celebration of you, no, 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 those are bad for you. I can totally get why people are like, really? But ironically, it was, ironically, a, a, it it was. was a good move to close the bathhouses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a good move to say sex is what's spreading it because, you know, in the movie and in the book, a lot of these men were involved in bathhouses that were the mm-hmm. first ones coming down with this, and that's how it was getting spread extremely fast with a lot of people. So logic-wise, and Larry Kramer was one of the people that, that stated this fact, logic-wise, it was logical to close the bathhouses. Mm-hmm. But then that came right up against the, the, the gay community who said, you're that basically equal to telling us to shut up and, and, and shut down. And right. So it was it was it was tough. So I do want to talk a little bit about the movie. Okay, so it was the 1993 Primetime Emmy Award winning HBO television film. It was produced by Aaron Spelling. There you go. Kind of surprised me. Okay, it was directed by. When you watch it, that won't surprise you. (laughs) Robert Spotswood and and starred Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine as Don Francis. And there's just, I could list, there's a zillion people in this movie. You just, again, it's going to be in the show notes. Everybody who's anybody. Lily um, Tomlin, Alan Alda. Yes. Uh, even Steve Phil Martin. Phil Collins, Bud Court, David Dukes, Richard Gere, Glenn Headley, Angelica Houston, uh, Swoozie Kurtz. I mean, Steve Martin, Richard Mazur, Ian McKellen. And what was interesting is that they appeared on the film on union scale pay. So they didn't get paid a lot of money because people thought that this was very important, which it was. The film was released the same year as Philadelphia and the play Angels in America Gay Fantasia on national themes. So this was definitely like the year where Hollywood was acknowledging that gay is a thing and AIDS is a thing and we need to be talking about it. And so it's interesting that this came out the same year as Philadelphia, which was a fictionalized version of reality. And then this was like a bizarre documentary fictionalized. Which I had a huge problem with Philadelphia. I mean, I I don't think Philadelphia is a very good film, but that's a whole other conversation. I don't think it represents a couple's relationship the way it should. And that's because I was going through it around, you know, around that time. So I knew what a gay couple with one of them had AIDS would, would have been like and I felt it I, I still don't like that movie I pin in that I want to hear more about <laughs> it but okay so this was an interesting thing to me the movie I, I, I literally finished the book like wrote a couple of paragraphs of my notes and then clicked on it's on Amazon Prime it is yeah. it's, it's, it's if free you, if, if you, you have, have Prime, Prime you can watch it and it starts off in 1976 with Don Francis who by the way Don Francis was in the book but not a huge part of the book uh, whatever. He arrives in the villages on the banks of uh, the Ebola River in Zaire, discovers many of the residents and the doctors working with them have died from a mysterious illness. 
and they're having to burn all of these bodies. And then the little title card comes up and says, this was not AIDS. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> why are we watching this? Like, I understand. Well, it. I mean, I kind of got that part of it because they're comparing the, the, the burning of the bodies and not wanting to be near these people that were dying. That's what AIDS was. No, I, I get it. It's just, it's like, okay, <clears throat> this book is insanely long. Oh, and yeah. you're already going to shrink it down into this small bit of time. And we're going to spend a bunch of time with this character development of Don... Okay, whatever, Don Francis. Okay, fine. <laughs> Even so, that flashback. Oh, my God. Too, yeah. That was a thing. Then this this movie was about Don Francis. Right. This uh, This... Guy who who the only character thing we got about him was that he would have these flashbacks. But okay, so fine. He works for the Center of Con- uh, Disease Control, and he's the one who has all these grand ideas, and he's figuring it out. Which and he's the one that wants to buck the system and say, right. "I don't care about the money. I don't care what. Get me some uh, research equipment so I can take care of this." Right, and some definite poetic license was taken with who said what and when and how and who came up with the ideas and whatever. It, this, this story follows, basically the movie needed to locate us in a narration. So we have Don Francis, we follow him as he's trying to figure out what's going on. We follow Dr. Gallo as he's portrayed as this kind of maniacally evil guy who's you know more interested in the Nobel Prize than actually curing people. And then we follow Bill Krauss and his partner and his friends in San Francisco as he's working through you know what's going on with all of the community and then Bill Krause gets you know the um and Bill Krause was Ian McKellen is right? Ian McKellen yeah. yeah and um okay so it it kind of follows along it's it's over dramatic in some areas and and leaves a lot of stuff out but considering what it was trying to do this huge book and this huge expanse of time I don't know I I thought it did it tried I Okay, you better start putting quotes around that word because okay. tried is a strong word for this movie. Um, if you pick up this book, it is some of the most brilliant writing. Now, yes, it's a nonfiction book, but it reads like fiction. What is interesting is that it does, it, it, it reads like a story. It reads like a murder mystery. Yeah. And like, you know, you're getting all these pieces and stuff. And so much happens so fast. It's 600 pages. It's five years. And it's like, this happened in May. And then this happened because in Because he's June, following several characters from page one. So in one chapter, you may get six sections or seven sections mm-hmm. that are based on different characters. And it all ties in eventually, but he's following different people. This is my thing with the movie. I, I may have had a lot of problems with the movie. But this book was so dramatically and movie-type written. Mm-hmm. If you can, if that's the movie you make out of this book, well, we all know what Aaron Spelling did. He made all those dynasties and all that crap tv so right uh charmed and yeah all yeah, that stuff teen um, angsty i think he was he charlie's angels i don't know but he was a lot of yeah, crap tv so. but they had such a blueprint in this book it's just brilliantly written and and the the, the heart-wrenching stories that he puts in here and they just went way way off the rails the movie basically is about the medical community it's yeah. not really about the people that died and i would say like they we did have bill kraus was in it but ian mckellen but it really felt like this was about Don Francis. Don right. Francis. And who is never, we never find out if Don Francis is gay. And I, I, technically it doesn't matter, but it kind of does. It, it, it feels weird see, to me. See, that never even crossed my mind. It feels weird to me that this this book and this movie that's supposed to be about this horrible disease that directly and disproportionately affected the gay community. And we have, I'm not going to say the white savior complex, because it's not about a white, but, but it's like the, it's the, the non-sexual savior true, true. guy. He's like here and he's going to solve it. And all of these, a lot of the, the, 
things that happened in the book were credited to other people having his whole thing in the movie where he was like, it's this leukemia thing and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to have this breakthrough and blah, blah, blah. With the, watching the Pac-Man, like, that didn't happen. That's not how it happened. And it really undermines all the people who worked on this and the, the many medical minds who were coming up with ideas to put it all onto like freaking Matthew Modine, who just kind of like <laughs> sleepwalks through this thing and gets upset when he doesn't have a microscope. But other than that, the only thing we know about him is he likes jelly donuts and he has flashbacks. Like, I just... <laughs> well, I think Matthew Modine... I mean, you can't... There's no way you could do the depth of this book in a movie unless you did a miniseries or something like that. They should have done a miniseries. That, that's what I think. I think they should have done a miniseries or four miniseries. And you could have had one that, you know, followed Bill Krause and, and, you know, okay. And then you could have had one that followed the disease control and you could have had one. I mean, that, the script is right here in the book. It's, it's so it, well written. You just take out yeah. what's in the book. You don't have to rewrite it. So yeah, they were trying to do it in two and a half hours or whatever it was. And so Matthew Modine, I think represents to them, and I don't think it went well, but I think he represents, uh, he didn't even re to me represent a medical doctor no. in, the, in the, in the movie. He represented maybe, the rebel against the system. But again, as you no. say that, he's he, represented by a straight white, white male. Dude. He represented <clears throat> what America needed to have the every man. He was supposed right, to be exactly. the every man who was helping people because he was a good man. It wasn't that he was personally invested. He was just, you know, a good guy, which is fine. He was personally invested. Don't you remember those flashbacks? Oh, God. <laughs> I, just, but you know what I mean? Like, and so I, 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 I felt like it did a little bit of a disservice by... And I, maybe for the time, maybe 1993, we had to have that. I mean, we well, had Tom Hanks in what, Philadelphia. Yeah, so, and when I you mean, said earlier sure. about this was the time when these movies were happening, that's absolutely true. And I remember this time, and AIDS was still very, very touchy subject, because in it, even up, up to 95, people were dropping dead every day. So there was death, 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 death. So it was a touchy subject. So these movies wanted to take on the fact that let's talk openly about this. Let's mm -hmm. talk about what causes it. Let's talk about how we got to this point. But, I mean, people were still only ready for so much. Philadelphia right. was considered revolutionary and groundbreaking, that crappy um. film. Um, so, <laughs> how do you really feel about this? Yeah, well. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had a gay character on Mr. Belvedere. Well, come on now. No, they did. This I didn't watch Mr. Belvedere. I know, I'm just Was it Mr. You. Belvedere? Yes, Mr. Belvedere. Oh, he no, was the gay No, one? he wasn't the There was a kid at school who was a hemophiliac. Yeah. Yes. So That's like, how that, they were dealing with that's it. That's how it makes it, you know, like... They were doing, know, like, TV Movie of the Week stuff. Right, exactly. And so those steps are important. And it's really... It is. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm as young as I am, and I remember this, but in a very tangential way, because I was mm -hmm. growing up and dealing with my own shit. To look back and you like, oh, it doesn't age well, or blah, 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 and... That's an unfair assessment because this was important at the time and they were they were striving. They were trying to do something well, and I this, think that they did it. What this movie did, what and I think this was the point, this was why it was written and, and filmed and done in the way it was. This movie allowed your mom and dad to watch about AIDS on TV. Mm -hmm. allowed, most straight people in the world at that time ignored it. They literally ignored it. Gay people were up in arms. Gay people were dying all over the place. But straight people ignored it because it, the phrase then was, it's not our disease. Mm -hmm. um, so the TV, and we're all, you know, us Americans are tied to media. The TV movies that they made, and even Philadelphia as the first mainstream movie, it allowed the conversation to be happening with straight people. So right. in that way, it served a purpose. Definitely. And I'm, I'm extremely glad that they did it because I feel like the book may or may not have ever continued you to be and, and the book is 
is amazing and it's should a be Pulitzer required. Prize winning book. It I should mean, be required reading. Am I right? I it is, like, isn't it? Didn't he win uh, a Pulitzer Prize for this? I, I was trying to remember if I he did or not. I don't think he did. It might have been nominated. But you know what? I'm sorry. The Accidental Tourist was also nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, and that yeah. one sucked. That was so a crappy okay. One too. Um, <laughs> I agree with you there. Flashback to last episode of Pages and Popcorn Podcast. <laughs> oh, did you already cover that one? Yeah. Yeah, that's a crappy. I haven't read the book, but the movie was. Oh my was, god, it was so bad. The, movie was crap. <laughs> okay. the book was bad too. Yes. Wow. The book was even worse. Okay. Yeah, I, I just felt like the horror of the epidemic could have been so much more. There was no horror in the movie. That's really. what I'm saying. None. Like it just it was, and even when Bill Krauss, the guy who we've been kind of following, we don't watch, we don't get the resolution of what happened. I mean, we know he's going to die. But and at the end, he talks in tongues for a couple of minutes, and, and then, then it's then, off screen. Then it's off screen. Yeah. Whereas there's destruction and death and. And evil in every died. page of the yeah. book. Yeah. And the fir- the first, I think the first victim they talk about in the book was a lesbian. Wasn't well, we it? don't know. Um, no, I thought they named, Yeah, I thought they named her partner later. Oh, I. You know what? I read that as her medical partner, not her partner partner, because I didn't think that in nineteen eighty. Oh, I read it the other way. Well, she was European. She wasn't American. That's so true. to me, I thought, okay, that makes total sense. <laughs> yes. Maybe no. as an American, you wouldn't think that she would be a lesbian out, but. Yeah, I don't know. The swarmy, beautiful, what's his name? Oh, that's flight attendant. The flight attendant, yes. Well, you know, that was huge. That's what we were all told at that time, that this guy was the one who caused AIDS. Mm-hmm. Alone. Mm-hmm. This guy alone. And that that theory went on for years. Yeah. Until yeah. it was debunked. Yeah, and but it was. We all believed it, and mm-hmm. we all repeated it. I remember as a child being told that AIDS had come because some guy had had sex with monkeys. Yeah. In Africa. See, that came much later, but that's yeah. true. That's that's how. And then, it, but there was one later that I read. This was huh. a few years back. That said, it was caused by people in the jungle eating monkey meat, and so it came from monkeys. The last thing I read was AIDS has been around for a very, very, very long. Last time. thing I said said that it. There's two working theories. One is that there was a tribe in Africa who were isolated, and they had this immune deficiency you know, basically the gene for it, but they were isolated, so it didn't affect anybody. And then when they started coming in contact with other people, basically the same thing where, like, the pilgrims landed, Christopher Columbus, they killed everybody with smallpox. It's the same basic idea. You come into contact with something that your body has evolved to not really see as a threatening. I think it's hundreds of years it went back. Oh, okay. See, the thing I said um, said that in like in the fifties is when they probably started first having the first couple of cases, the first cases, exactly. and not knowing what but it they was. They didn't know what it was, right? And then eventually, you know, and because the inoculation period is so long, and you can be a carrier for so long and not know it, it was like the beginning of this book when they were they because they follow several people who are getting sick and getting different opportunistic diseases, and they are diseases like pneumocystis pneumonia and others that they didn't see in healthy people ever, right? And they were at the beginning just going, well, it's because of this. They're attributing it to some odd thing that's happening and it's isolated instead of they didn't know that these were all signs, symptoms of, of AIDS and HIV. And it's interesting because, you know, even then in the 80s, they were able to talk. That's that is, again, what surprised me is how quickly people were able to actually start to put some pieces together without the Internet. Because you think if something yeah, like this true. happened now, 
it would be medical journals. People would be emailing each other. You'd fax, you right. know, well, not even fax. That sounds outdated. But like it would email. It'd be on the cloud, you know. And we would have the ability to to notice patterns so fast. The fact that they noticed the patterns as quickly as they did with the technology that they had in the eighties was pretty interesting. You know, when my husband was sick in ninety three and ninety four, the internet was around. It wasn't great, but it was around. Mm-hmm. And I used to print stuff off the internet and take to him that he didn't know about. Every time we'd go in, I'd print something else, and I'd say, "Did you know about this?" And he, luckily, he was very receptive to it. He said, "Well, thank you." And but he the, literally didn't know about it. And I had just looked it up. On, yeah, the doctor. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. We our, our resources were limited, and then there was that whole competition between France and the and France and America, <laughs> which was. And I remember that. That I remember that very clearly. It was a big deal. So the author um, Schultz was tested for HIV while he was writing the book, but waited to find his results out until he was finished. And, and the, he died of AIDS. And he did. The day he turned out his manuscript was the day he he found out that he also had AIDS. And he died in 1994. Yeah. So right after the movie came out, um, he was only in his 40s. But he was ostracized by a lot of people because of this book mm-hmm. and because of his writings and other arenas. Because that was part of the problem with the gay community at that time. And I, I mean, I, I on one hand, I understand it. And on the other hand, it was the problem that they didn't want to be told that what they were doing as a lifestyle was risking their life. And it was because sexually transmitted is the easiest way to get it. Mm-hmm. They were having a lot of sex. I mean, that was just what was happening then. Not that we don't have a lot of sex now, but it's not like it was then. <laughs> it, was, it was all the time and with a lot of people at one time. Yeah, some of the stats in the book are amazing. They're like, oh, you'd go in and you'd have sex with 30, 40 people in a night. And, you know, they can't see your hands. Okay. No, no, no. Uh- <laughs> I don't do that anymore. <laughs> And I, 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 but I understand that. I, yeah. I, you know, I've been to a sex club, so I know what it's like. And back then it was even more hedonistic because I've only been to a sex club post AIDS, you know, in the world mm-hmm. of safe sex. Back then, sex, safe sex. But even, even when I would go to sex clubs, you know, 20 some years ago, and it was very, very much in the age of AIDS, um, there were guys not having safe sex all mm-hmm. over the place yeah. even though and they would be there's people walking around in the club trying to find guys that aren't using condoms and they kick them out but it, I mean, really oh yeah yeah they had little police walking around interesting but there were still guys doing it and this was at a time where aids was full-blown i mean you don't do this so that's funny because that's one of the things they talked about as a way to combat the spread in the bathhouses was having people go in and, and watch, you know, and then check on. They were like, oh, no, that would be oh, awful. Yeah, that we scene don't want that. They did yeah. the scene in the movie where Lily Tomlin and what's his name walk in there and say, we want to just talk to people. And the Phil Collins character is interesting in the movie because he plays the bathhouse owner who fights against them wanting to close the bathhouse because and he was straight. Yeah, he's fighting he was against them just money because making. money, yeah. money, money, money. And he, he has a great. Not the great, but the very memorable line that they was came from the book too. Of like he says to the doctor, you know, I make money when they come to me, and then you make, you make money, money when they come to you. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, and so, nothing was highlighted more about money in the in the movie anyway mm-hmm. than that scene with they're talking to the in the blood bank the when blood they took bank, the vote, trying to restrict the blood. Yes, bank. they the dramatization of that in the movie was well done. It when was. they were basically we're gonna by a show of hands decide whether or not we're gonna let people know that this is a risk and we're yeah. concerned about how much it's gonna cost. Because that's us. absolutely true. And then just. People. And, and to this day, gay people can't donate blood. Yes. So well, that, with, they can. Right, but you have to lie on you your... Have, you have to lie or you have to be celibate. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, have, you have to have not had sex with a, a man in the last year, which, come on, that's crazy. Which is interesting because there is a test. Right. There's been a test for years. I mean, yeah, and it this law actually... will not, it won't go away for some reason. I don't understand it because they test all the blood for HIV, mm-hmm. all of it. And, and we all know that straight people get HIV just as easily as gay people get it. Mm-hmm. So... 
straight people aren't barred from giving blood, so they're testing their blood, but they they won't even allow us to give our blood to be tested. It's that's frustrating because at my job we have a blood bank every month. The van comes out and mm-hmm. I and I want to donate blood and I can't. Yeah. And I sometimes I do feel about like lying about it. I feel like okay, I'm just gonna go do it because I, first of all I know I'm clean. I I don't have HIV, but just to get back at the system in a way, I'm like, <laughs> oh, right. you know, I wouldn't do it if I had HIV, of course, but. If I if if I I know I'm clean, I would like to go donate blood and then afterwards say, yeah, I just screwed my husband last night. So there you go. <laughs> but um, it's just very frustrating. It makes no scientific sense whatsoever. No. So even in as much progress as we've made, and here we are in the year 2019, there is all like these bizarre holdovers. And yeah. I don't know, fear-based, weird-based? I don't know. I don't know what it is either. I've tried to figure that one out. I've had conversations with people about it, and I have no idea what it is. It's the system for some reason. Oh, okay. So, yes, the movie was made in 1993. NBC decided not to air it in 1993. They waited until 1994 and cut 40 minutes out of it so that they could air it. They say that they had to cut it to make it fit their time. People think that they probably cut it. To... Do we know what they cut specifically? I, no, because I, I haven't watched both versions of it. And when you watch there's it... two versions of well, it? Well, because there's the NBC version, but you can't find that anywhere. Oh, the that's right. This was slower. the HBO version. Yeah, so... I don't know what they got. They got 40 minutes, though, so that's... So they cut 40 minutes out of the HBO version uh-huh. that showed on NBC? NBC. Oh, yes. well, we saw the HBO version, so yeah. there was nothing. What would they cut? I no idea. Maybe Something. them walking into the bathhouse? I mean, there's nothing explicit in the movie. There really, really isn't. They... I don't even remember... I remember a little bit of nudity, but very little. Very little, and it was from, like... I mean, yeah, there were guys in towels in the bathhouse. And I think... That, well, they say there was language, so... I. Hmm. I don't know. I have no idea what they cut. It would be interesting if somebody has the old, you know, some version of it saved somewhere. But Well, uh, I mean, I'll take this opportunity to push an HBO movie that is brilliant okay. and is the same topic. And it's called The Normal Heart. Larry Kramer's The Normal Heart. That oh, that he wrote. Three or four years ago. Yeah, so he wrote it. He got kicked out of the organization that he was running in New York. There was in fighting about what should and shouldn't be happening. Well, he's a loudmouth. He's a total loudmouth. Right. <laughs> yes. So I sympathize with him. <laughs> <laughs> he burned some bridges. Yeah. And um... and he's, he's an asshole in a lot of ways. There's no doubt about that. But he was also... But uh... his he wrote it was for the New Yorker, and it basically was like, pay attention, people are dying. And, right. and that article got a lot of attention and actually made people actually have to do something. Oh, yeah, and ACT UP so, came out of that, which yeah. was a, a huge activist group that made huge inroads uh, in getting people's attention and bringing the lesbian community together with the gay community. When we I was just talking to somebody on the phone about this last night, how the gay community and the lesbian community were literally at odds. We were talking about bars here in Fresno mm-hmm. at that time, and the late 70s, and there were, the Express was trying to be a men's bar, and, uh, you know, Shades was a women's bar, and you didn't let, women didn't go there, and men didn't go there, and it, the, there used to be this common sense among the gay community that lesbians hate gay men, and gay men hate lesbians, and to a dis- degree, that was true, but the AIDS epidemic brought lesbians into the lives of gay men, because lesbians weren't getting the disease, mm-hmm. because they weren't having the kind of sex and there's no semen involved and all that, that they weren't contracting the disease. So they were literally caring for gay men who were dying of AIDS because gay men were so sick they couldn't care for themselves. So that's what brought the lesbians and gays back together. Mm -hmm. But the play that that Larry Kramer decided to write at some point, he said, I have to do something. I wrote this article. I'm going to do something else. And he wrote the play, The Normal Heart, and then they made it into an HBO movie. Yeah, they just made it into a movie recently. It was like two or three years ago. It's been a play for many, 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 many years. But it also did a lot of work in getting people people's attention and even um, conservative
conservative, anti-gay people, reviewers came out of seeing it, you know, in New York and said, I wept and, and it touched oh, yeah. me. And and it was, uh, it was there's, a, there's a lot of nudity in that one, by the way. Um, but it's <laughs> also, yeah, right in the f- first scene. But it's, it's also very graphic about the physical torture that AIDS victims went through. I had several people say to me who were much, much younger than me when this came out, oh, well, you know, it's it's the cool movie, but they really exaggerated the AIDS. I'm like, no, they didn't actually go quite far enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so people don't know what kind of a awful, I mean, it was, we called it the plague. That's what we all called it. And that's what it was. It was like living in a plague. Our friends were dying every single day, funerals all the time. And meanwhile, the government, there's a whole, and it's in the book and it's in, it's like, think it's in the movie too a little bit yeah. about how ronald reagan the president of the time wouldn't even say the word until 1987 yeah. um, so this was and that was after rock hudson died yeah. so that rock hudson i mean it's a lot of people listening may not know who rock hudson was but <laughs> he was a huge huge movie star in the 50s and 60s very macho man yeah everybody thought he was this big macho man and you know there was always a rumor about him being gay a lot a lot of times the gay community knows who's gay when the public doesn't there's people now we can, yeah, yeah people now we can talk about. But we're not outing people on this. We're not. We're podcast, not. But there but yes. are a lot of people I could out. <laughs> let me tell you. Um, so when that happened, when Rock Hudson got it, straight people really stood up and took notice because they thought he was one of them. Well, and also I think because he was this macho man. That kind of went against the stereotype of the gay men who are in San Francisco with the limp wrists right. and the fashion designer, whatever, choreographers and whatever. This was freaking Rob Huxon. He's, right. he's a man's man. He was a movie star. He and was, he's yeah. gay? Like, how, how does that even he work? He was the leading man on the screen for many, many years and romanced a lot of beautiful women and... I think he even had an arranged marriage through the studios so that he would not appear in any way to be gay. That's funny. I mean, sad, but interesting, I guess. Another big milestone for HIV was when um, Magic Johnson. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And so that happened later, obviously. Yeah, the book obviously. the book ends. It, yeah. And that was, I remember that in school, too. I must have been in sixth, seventh grade when that was going that on. That was a sports, a sports guy got yeah. AIDS. Yeah. A, an, an African-American yeah, sportsman. Yeah. And the book really doesn't talk too much about the African-American men in the Hispanic communities. And it was, it's pretty specific to the group. But I mean, for goodness sake, talk about biting off a lot. It's This book is, is trying so hard to cover so many things that you can't fault it for not covering everything in the entire world. And it does a brilliant job covering what it covered. I mean, I, it's, it's I highly, highly, highly recommend the book. I really wish, I mean, for a lot of things, but specifically, I wish there was an, a book that was written in 1995 and then one that was written in 2005 and would just keep this same linear narrative progression. I mean, we've right. lost a lot of people along the way, but, you know, in terms of the government, in terms of what the disease, you know, what we know about the retrovirus and stuff like that, I, I think it's really interesting. I, I was surprised when the book ended when it did. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was like going to cover all of the 80s and to have it end in 1985 and be like, oh, my god but this is just the beginning of the epidemic was but 85 was really the beginning of the public acknowledging it the, so and, and and the chapters in the book are are named as such to to indicate what the time periods were and mm-hmm. i'm going to try and find them here the real contents quick. Will have them. yeah so it starts off with behold a pale horse which is when it's first you know mm-hmm. lifts its head on the horizon then the whole next title is is called before so in 1980, before, it's the glory days, but it's before AIDS really was recognized. Then there's paving the road, 
81, 82 is the gathering darkness, and then in 83 becomes battle lines, and then rituals, and then we get into, you know, people really dying and the fight really happening, and so the book delineates, I think that the, the before title is really relevant, because that literally was, I kind of marked my life for a long time before 1980 and after 1980. I was lucky, I met somebody in 1982 and got into a 10-year relationship that was monogamous, for the most part. <laughs> so I can't imagine if I had been single at that time, you know, I might not be here. Because I'm sure I would have not been out until, I came out in 1982, right when this was wow. happening. I mean, immediately as this was this happening, is, I came out of the closet. This is the therefore by the, by the grace. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think about that all the time. I was born in 1980, just to make oh, me feel okay. really we don't, old. Can we edit that part out, please? <laughs> Can we rewrite that? <laughs> so I, I mean, I recommend people watch the movie because you will learn about an interpretation of what the, the book's reality. Like I said, it reads like fiction, but it's reality. And it's I, I as I'm re- you're a writer, I'm a writer. I'm reading this book going, God, I wish I could write like that. It's just amazing the way he writes. Mm-hmm. It's so it hits right to your heart and your head at the same time. He's just a, he was an amazingly brilliant writer. And then you see the movie and you kind of see how the things get whitewashed. And, but like I said, it had a, it had a purpose. It had a yeah. purpose to get to mainstream America. It, it and it did. To. It had to. Like an early frost, which was another movie around mm-hmm. that time was the first. I think that was even more monumental because the early frost, that movie was about a, a man dying of AIDS. And that was a huge, huge movie. It was a TV movie, but it was huge. So those were the kind, and those little, little stories, sub stories on series that you talked about. Mm-hmm. That was the way I meant. There was one on Golden Girls, for God's sake. Golden yeah, Girls true. had an episode where Rose thought she had HIV because she had been given blood. All of those things had their place to to move society to get more knowledge and to get more sympathy and empathy for the disease. Uh, but this movie is truly a piece of crap. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> it just really is. Literally, Kaylee, I'm sitting there. I I finished the book. And I sat down on a Saturday night to watch this movie. The first three minutes, I'm like, this is bullshit. I mean, the first three minutes. Yeah. Well, again, because you're watching this thing and then like the first little thing comes up like, this wasn't AIDS, but it was a warning. And I was like, okay, okay. But see, I can get that. Did you ever see the movie Outbreak? No, I Dustin Hoffman. Oh, oh, I should. Hey, we got to cover there that. There you go. <laughs> so that movie starts kind of the same way, almost yeah. exactly the same way. Right. He's in the jungle, oh, and there's yeah. yeah. That was believable because of the way it was filmed. This one, it looked like it was filmed by a sixteen-year-old. The writing is well, horrible. The dialogue is horrible. It was it. Okay, here's the thing, and I've said this on the podcast before. I don't like knowing that I'm being emotionally manipulated. I don't mind being emotionally manipulated as long as I can't see the strings. But when I can see the strings and I know what you're trying to do, that makes me really resistant to whatever it is that you're trying to do. Uh, Matthew Modine is like, oh, my God, it's so sad. There's all these bodies and I'm going to stand here and look at them and look at me emoting that I'm sad. And okay, fine. And then he goes in and this lady is like talking and she, you know, in a, in a language he can't understand. And, and she then she grabs, grabs his hand. Yeah. And then she coughs blood all over him. And I was right. like, you were wearing a gas mask, but not gloves. Not, but not the- around the sick person. Seriously. <laughs> not around the- and where are your gloves? Whatever. Fine. He's okay. outside with a mask. He walks into the sick person. And he I'm takes his take mask, my mask off. off like, and look, get hell? your blood on my hand. Awesome. Okay. That reminds so, me of all this, these space movies. This is not OSHA compliant. But, okay, <laughs> but, wait, on. let me just do this. All these space movies. Do you ever see, do you watch the alien movies? Yes. So one of the newer ones. Uh, where they go to the prequel or whatever it is, and they go Prometheus into this, they land on this planet, and they uh-huh. go into this cave, 
and they take off their helmets. <laughs> Have you not seen the movies? Hello. <laughs> Okay, so then later on, Matthew Modine's character. Now he, now we have Bill Krause, and he's in the hospital, and he's dying of AIDS. And Matthew Modine goes in there for some reason, and so here he is. And Bill Krause is like talking in gibberish because his brain is going, and and he's you know looking all around, and then he grabs Matthew Modine's hand, and I'm like, if he freaking coughs blood on Matthew Modine's hand, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with this movie. Or if he dies right now too, that would be so cheap. And I, it could have totally seen it happen. But happening. the point of that Thankfully. was that Matthew Modine puts his other hand over his yes, and says, okay, now he's I'm not that's... afraid, which yeah. is fine. Okay. The reason he maybe wouldn't touch the African lady's hand because there was literally blood yeah, all over. Yeah, I mean, let's exactly. just say like there's a difference here, but yeah. Ugh, okay. But what's ironic is... We don't is need to make something like this overly sensational. It's sensational enough. It's dramatic enough. And I feel like some of the stuff that they oh, added it was, in... Just, it was written horribly. It's oh. filmed horribly. The lighting's horrible. <laughs> a lot of the acting is horrible. You know, Saul Rabinowitz, who plays Matthew uh, Modine's boss. Yeah, that guy. Horrible. And in he's movie. in a lot of stuff. He is. He's a big character actor. He's a character actor. Horrible, horrible. Yeah, horrible. yeah. And and you couldn't Lily underst- Tomlin totally wasted. You couldn't understand his motivation. He seems like he changed characters. I felt like a couple of these characters were multiple char- people that they smushed into one. Ca- yeah, it, exactly. It just, it they didn't... were. They were. They were fulfilling a purpose Ugh. of getting the story across without being real characters. Whereas the book, again, it's real people, but. It's written as if it's it's fiction in a way. It's so well written. Well, and we're really the the actual tragedy of it is not shied away in yeah, the book. We yeah. we feel those tragic moments. We're with people when they're dying, when they're finding out, when they're grieving together. We have journal entries, but it's a testament to the writing that it doesn't become you don't get right now in the news in 2019, I get a little bit of outreach fatigue sometimes. I'm like, I'm just oh, what did he do now? You right, know, oh sure. my god, I just roll my eyes and it kind of rolls off. Yeah, here. yeah. But in this book, you don't get sadness fatigue. It stays sad every time. And right. that is incredibly difficult to do because you can have a book with two characters and by the time the second character deals with something sad, you're like, whatever, yawn. Yeah, this yeah, book yeah. had so many sad things, but it was sad every time. And, be, and, so, and because it's mixing behind the, behind the vignettes of the people going through their suffering or their hard times, behind that is the political world or the societal world that are having to deal or not deal with this disease. So there's there's a lot woven through this book. It's people dying and suffering at the same time that people are you know trying to find a, a, a reason for this disease and trying to reach the public and trying to yeah. fight discrimination and trying to save money by not closing the blood bank i mean the and and maybe it touched me so much because i lived through all that and i remember all that so clearly it's all and i want to say it's true because even though it's a non-fiction book i say it reads like fiction but it's all it's all completely on it's so on the nose whereas the movie (laughs) is so off the nose oh my god so i will say if you if you can't sit down and read 600 pages i feel you because that's that's a big undertaking if you see the movie, I I just feel like people should just read the book. Yeah. <laughs> but that it's it's hard. It is. I mean, maybe you read it in stages. Maybe you. Well, you know, when we say it's it six hundred pages, I don't I don't want people to think it reads like a technical manual or anything. It, it does not. It no, reads it like a page turning. I will book. tell you, I I was skimming more at the beginning just because I was like trying to read it quickly and stuff, and then I had to stop skimming because it was so interesting yeah. and and so and there were so many freaking characters, characters, people, real people, and. 
at, by the time I was getting towards the end, I definitely wasn't skimming anymore. It kept me engaged, which I, is really freaking impressive for a book this long. Well, I'll so. admit, I did part of it on audiobook because mm-hmm. it, it, it's I, my eyes aren't the best, and it was hard to read that many pages. So I did it on audiobook, which brings in the, the narrator's voice a little bit, and it, and it kept me really, really intrigued because you, a narrator is going to add emotion to it. And I also learned that you can do an audiobook at 1.3... 1.75 yes. yes. the speed. So, which sounds really strange at first, but once you get used to it, it does speed yeah, things up. Yeah. Okay. So, I guess we've kind of done our final thoughts. I would, I definitely, the book is definitely worth the time and energy to, to read it. Absolutely. I understand if people can't, but I really, really highly recommend it. I think I didn't dislike the movie quite as much as you did, although I have to tell you, it I really didn't like Matthew Modine's character, or Matthew Modine. Well, he's in every scene almost. I, yeah. So. <laughs> I would say that it's not a, it's not a slow two and a half hours. Like it doesn't, it, it moves. Like there's, you know, oh, it moves so much. And I, th- I thought this was interesting. I wanted to say this at the beginning. So the, the, this book, every chapter is written in separate vignettes. So like in one chapter, you're, you're with a couple that's having an issue with AIDS, and then you're with a doctor, and then you're back with a single person, then you're with the flight attendant, and then you. So that's how the book is written. The, the movie, like that first scene, mm-hmm. is what three or four minutes then another scene comes on and it's two or three minutes and another scene comes on i mean yeah. they seem to follow that part of the book by jamming in all these scenes i don't know if that was right. just editing for time or what but it didn't work in the no, movie. no it really didn't work i no, it didn't because they weren't building anything so i'm gonna put on the show notes i found this really interesting thing it's this compilation of news footage about aids um it starts with the first time it was mentioned on the nightly news and it kind of goes through and it's basically just the news stories, which of course tell, gives you like this tiny little part of the media coverage and the whole story. But it's interesting because it starts off with like gay cancer. gay cancer and then it goes on to like this boy is being kicked out of school because he's a hemophiliac who has AIDS now. And like all these parents are like, we can't send our kids to this school. And like it goes on. I it's, it's, that. it's 52 minutes long. Of, really? Yes. Of these of, of this narrative, but it, it tells this story in these random news clips that encompass, you know, 10, 15 years of time. There was talk during the AIDS epidemic of putting us in camps. Yes. Literally. It, and that's mentioned on the scene. So I'm going to link that video into the, the show notes. So maybe watch that and read this book. <laughs> Skip the movie. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think it's good to watch the movie just like, because uh, like I said, it shows you how media whitewashes and, you know, they do it every day. Whitewash, mm-hmm. even of fictional books, they... Straight wash. Yeah, straight wash or, or just whitewash White or money wash or money whatever wash, they do. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that the, the book is so beautiful and the movie is so ugly. They tried to just kind of save it with the um, little epilogue you know, the words at the end of the movie to, to try and to... The, and then the there's this montage, montage of these Ryan famous White people. And Liberace okay, and, and here's the thing. I have a feeling in 1993, people watching this knew who everybody was who was shown on that screen. Oh, but you didn't, right? I knew about half those people, <laughs> and I'm pretty wired in to, I like... Knew them, I knew them all, but yeah, I lived through that. So, I... Anyways, I will also, in our show notes, put a list of all the people who were there, because it is interesting, you know, to see it. And but if you had lived at that time, you would you have known. You would have it. Yeah, they, in 1993... These weren't abstract people. No, of course not. And some of them you recognize, but you just don't know the name. But what I'm saying is it doesn't really hold a stand- hand test of time. No, the it book, doesn't. Holds the test of time. Yeah, it does. The movie feels very much of its time and of its place. Right. And it's frozen. It's it's like an amber. And that, I think, is frustrating because the disease is not 
in amber. Right. This is an evolving disease, and it is really still relevant today. And sadly, and we're, I think we're going to talk about it in a minute, there's been a little bit of a resurgence because we have a generation of people who didn't grow up with this fear and all of this stuff. So, okay, the book, though, is the cautionary tale, and it leaves you knowing that there's, so, there's more on the horizon that's, you know, the movie... It's too much of its time and place. It's True. too much of the movie of the week. And, and so. the fact is, this could happen again. There, there, we could have some new disease that you know affects some other part of the population. Well, according say, to the internet, it's Lyme disease right now. Yes. Lyme, which part of the population is that affecting? Um, hikers. Hikers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that's going to work. Well, I'm just saying. But let's like, say there was a disease that hit women or a disease. But, but that, it's communicable. Like, so people are they're getting it in the forest. They're coming home, and it's not being diagnosed, and then they're transmitting it to other people people because it can oh, jump I didn't know or something. Could, I didn't know you could transmit. Whatever. I don't know. Like maybe this was a cr- crazy rabbit hole that I fell down on the internet earlier yeah. today and then I got scared. And but something like that, it. maybe this is one of them and there's another one that happens tomorrow that affects a certain, maybe it affects young people, maybe it's old people, women, who knows? Um, like this weird thing that happened with kids last year where they didn't know what it was. You, you saw that there was a few cases. Of, it was very few, but there were a few. This is a good example, like you said of the Tylenol. There was a few cases of kids that were becoming, they were losing the ability to speak and to walk for no apparent reason. It hit like lots of places around the country, but I think only like a hundred and some Wasn't kids. Wasn't it with food? It was I don't remember what they finally found out it was. That wasn't the spinach thing. But, but I, in the beginning, they were talking about it like this is going to be the dis- the, this, the, the strange disease thing. that kills yeah. kids only. Um, yeah, but and, to see kids, all the money would show up for that. Yeah, yeah. Let's be, yeah. But they'd, have, they'd probably start, who knows if they start shutting down schools. and. Oh, yeah. So do, do you talk to, we have a friend named Gina. Gina Adams at the Fresno County Health Department. And did she give you some stats? She gave me some stats. So maybe the first stats I'll look at is Fresno County, because that's, that's where, where we, we are. That's where we are. So this is from 2017. So as you know, you know, when you get stats, they're usually a couple years behind where you're at. Living with HIV in California, 135,082 people. Of those, 99,000 are in care, and about 63% are virally suppressed. So, you know, it's a very, very different disease than it used to be. People rarely die of it anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I was just talking to a friend last night who hasn't, we have a, a mutual friend who he's not healthy, but he's had it for 30 some years. Good grief. Um, and still living. And I know other people. I have another friend here in Fresno that's had it for 35 or so years and is still living. You know, they're on medication. They're taking care of themselves in one way or another. But that was the number of living with HIV in California. Just in Fresno, uh, 1,969 people are living with HIV. About 80% are in care, which is 1,563 people. Virally suppressed, about 1,304 or 66%. Of the one of the 135,000 82 people living with diagnosed HIV infection in 2017, 73.6 were in HIV care and 63% achieved viral suppression, which is when it's undetectable in your system. It does not mean you're cured. And that's in California. That's in, that's in California. Yeah. California's integrated plan objectives are to increase the percentage of Californians with diagnosed HIV infection who are in HIV medical care to at least 90% by 2021. So that's, you know, local local stats in the country. One in seven people living with HIV are unaware of their infection, so a lot of people have it and don't know it. Approximately 1.1 million in the U.S. are living with HIV today. About 15% of them don't know they're infected. An estimated 38,700 Americans became newly infected in 2016. Gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex... Read that one again. In 2016, an estimated 38,700 Americans became newly infected. So 
that's really, really important. And those of us who are older, um, <laughs> who have lived through the AIDS epidemic and people, uh, even you, um, even though you've lost people to AIDS, you didn't live through that period. So it doesn't terrify you the way it terrifies us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was in the bar business for, and, the, and, and the community center business for a lot of years where we would talk to people about condoms and the young people are like, I don't need a condom. I can just take a pill if I get sick. But they don't realize that if, let's say, you do get sick and have to live on pills, the side effects of those pills are awful. Well, and nowadays with the insurance companies being the way they are, you might not be able to afford yeah, your pills and, and you could die from yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, just this is a good time to say most health departments, most cities do free and rapid HIV testing. Absolutely. And they do so, it here in Fresno. So you can go in and you do it anonymously. Yes. Yes. At this point, there's no there's no reason to not know your status. I just wanted to say this other thing about um, Hispanic Latino men and Hispanic Latino women. They make up of the thirty eight thousand seven hundred thirty nine new HIV diagnoses in the U.S. in two thousand seventeen. Twenty six percent were among adult and adolescent Hispanic Latinos. Twenty two percent were among Hispanic Latino men and. 3% were among Hispanic women or Latinas. So it, it, there's all kinds of information about which ethnic groups it strikes. And women of color, especially black women, are highly susceptible to it. And a lot of that is because the men are transmitting it to the women. And, and there's a whole conversation about are, are they wearing condoms and they're not allowed to wear condoms. They don't want to wear condoms and so on. So women are getting it a lot. In the beginning, women never got it. Or at least it was never talked about women getting it. And then I, there's a scene in the movie where... She gets it from a, a blood transfusion. Right. And there's yeah. another scene where they said, we just found a whole bunch of dr- intravenous drug users mm-hmm. that have it. And that, that, that confuses them because they go, we thought this was sex. And, right. And it's not sex. So you can get tested in, in Fresno. And like, like Kalia said, in most counties and cities, totally free. Uh, co- free condoms are available at the Fresno County Health Department and community centers and other places like that. There's no reason why you can't access these services. And the most important thing if you when you get tested is that when you get your results, you're around somebody like at the Fresno County Health Department who can counsel you and, and tell you what this means and how to, and, and work to getting you into care right away. So I, I know this young guy in Fresno that was in care taking medication and just decided he didn't want to take medication anymore and then got really, really sick. So yes, in a way, it's a disease now like diabetes where you take medication to manage it, but it's critical that you stay on the medication and that you update with your doctor is the medication working and what's going on. Um, and then inform your partners. And inform everybody. You never have unprotected sex. I'm not, you know, this new drug that's out, um, Truvada, that you can take that's, you're still supposed to wear condoms when you, when you use it, but a lot of people are thinking they don't have to because it really, really reduces the risk of getting HIV. So I've been one of those people that talks about use a condom no matter what, but you know, it, it's similar to gay men in the late 70s. Young gay men now don't want to be told that now that they can start having sex with, with men, they have to wear a condom. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, a, it's a system of suppression in a way in their minds that they don't want to wear a condom. But us old fogies who live through it are telling them it's not worth the risk. Read the book, read the book, read the book. Watch the movie with a cocktail in your hand. <laughs> But definitely, read the book. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. You won't regret it. So that was our episode from 2019. Chris and I have actually done several of these Pages and Popcorn episodes where we've talked about uh, important 
books, uh, not only not just gay books, um, we did, you know, like Love, Simon and Brokeback Mountain, but we also did Women Talking and Arrival. Did we do Arrival? Yeah, we did Arrival. Um, so we, 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 but we did not predict the anyway, future like we did in this one with COVID. I mean, we did not. Come on, that people, was, give us some plus for that. Exactly. Anyways, it's always, it's always fun to talk to you, Chris, about all, all kinds of stuff. It's occasionally fun to talk to you, Kalia. Oh, okay. So this is funny because you all have just heard this episode where the the beginning of our long running joke where I call Chris old and he yeah I heard that I, I couldn't believe it I'm like it was in this episode in 2019 <laughs> I mean talk about a bit we have solidified apparently it. we're a one trick pony apparently we'll have to I didn't say kickball because this was way pre kick but look pre-kick I just ball. said it she so now people it. can take your drinks yes enjoy your drinking game maybe holiday maybe drinks take your a- holiday eggnog drink. yes there exactly. you go with brandy or whatever exactly. Okay, so give us some updated stats, Chris. All right, so new HIV cases in California, 2020, 4,028. 2021, 4,444. Now, again, you don't get these kind of statistics the current year. They're always two years back. Mm -hmm. In 2021, there were 141,001 person living with HIV in California. 69.6% were virally suppressed. And that's important because the current goal, uh, the health industry, is ending the epidemic. So the goal is to get to 95% virally suppressed. So the latest stats is 69.6%. We've got a ways to go. Male-to-male sex accounted for 67.4% in 2021 of new cases. Heterosexual non-high risk accounted for 279 cases, an increase from 232 in 2020. Babies that were born with HIV in 2020, it was 74 cases. This is in California. In 2021, it was 66. Wow. Fresno County, new cases in 2020, 124 new cases. In 2021, 147 new cases. In 2021, there were in Fresno County 2,246 people living with HIV. 69.8% were virally suppressed, or 1,567 people were virally suppressed. So those are the latest numbers. I also have a whole bunch of numbers of STDs, which I won't go into, which are so much more frightening than these HIV numbers, which, again, they're not great, but they're not what they used to be. Yeah. All we can say, people, is protect yourself. And get tested. Obviously, there's no reason to not know your status because as we mentioned in the episode, and it's still true, you can be asymptomatic for a number of years and not even know that And there's free testing at the Fresno County Department of Public Health and anonymous testing. So Mm -hmm. you can get tested anytime you want. Indeed, indeed. And now there's there's things like PrEP, Travada. So there there are things out there and education is a click away. We all have the internet. Yeah, it's out sure. there, people. Go so, get it. The theme this year, by the way, for World AIDS Day is let communities lead. And I think that it's important to note that community has always been an important part of the AIDS epidemic, about the AIDS research, about anything to and it's because it's a it's a specific disease that affects a community and then you have the community of people who have been affected by the disease so 
you're not alone. I know that that is one of the big scary parts about getting tested. And it's one of the scary things about having any sort of disease, but you're not alone. And nowadays there is Facebook and, you know, groups and, and TikTok. There's all kinds of places where you can find community here in Fresno. We have West care and the living room, and there are resources for you. And just like we say, um, local politics matter because mm -hmm. that's where the politics start. Local communities matter in HIV and disease testing and needle exchange and all that stuff. So we have lots of local resources here. Check it out. Okay. Um, our last little bit today, just to kind of bring us back to the holiday spirit, <laughs> is uh, I wanted to ask you, Chris, do you have you ever used or do you use an advent calendar? Oh my God, this is so weird because James and I were just talking about it the other day because it was on TV. And I was like, look at these kids who are monitoring themselves and only having one piece of chocolate every day. My advent calendar was gone by the third day. And I sometimes would put, uh, I would take like Hershey bars and put other pieces of chocolate in there to make up for the fact that I'd already eaten the advent mm. calendar. If it's a candy advent uh -huh. calendar that you have, but yes, I did when I was a child. Yeah. So we do different advent calendars here and I, we don't really do candy. That's not a thing. I have done a variety of different ones over the years. I had one that was like different mind teasers. So every day it was like a different mental puzzle to like figure out or like the chain link things that you'd like separate and stuff. Done the ones where it's Legos. So every day the child gets a little tiny package and a couple she can put together like a person or a snowman or whatever. And at the end, it's like a whole winter scene. Um, one of the ones, my favorite one that I did last year was every day there was a different cat puzzle. They were little, like little, they were only, I think 25 or 24 pieces each. Um, so they were little puzzles, but every day it was a different little picture. Of How a big are cat. these advent calendars? Cause well, don't that you, one was like, was a box. You have to open the door to get it out still. Right. I this mean, this had little tiny drawers, little tiny boxes oh, okay. and it was All very right. cute. And I was gifted a new advent calendar. We're going to start it today. And this is also a puzzle, but. It's one big puzzle, but you only get so many pieces a, at a day and you don't know where they go. <laughs> Puzzle. Oh my God. So it's like a whole month long of, of figuring it out. I love it. I, we get together as a family and we, well, you know, me and the kiddo and we sit there and we put our pieces together or the Lego together or do the puzzles or whatever. And it's good fun. I, I love well, it. Well, I could make that one last because there's no chocolate. So there's yeah. no need to go well, forward. Yeah. There's all kinds of themes. I had a friend who had a whiskey one, one year where it was, oh, teeny I want that puzzles. one. I figured <laughs> that's up your speed, right? Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, tequila advent calendar. Let me know. Of course, it oh. won't last either. It'll be no, over. no, no. <laughs> You'll have to get one of the ones that's more like 12 days of Christmas instead of 24. There so you at go. Least you can like, you I know, can be just kind of drunk, not to drunk. Off yeah, but ass, only yeah. for a week and a half. You know, right. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the whole month. <laughs> Well, okay, that's our show, people. Hopefully you have recovered from Thanksgiving and you're ready to jump into the holiday with all the holiday spirit, wonderful stuff. Remember, you can always email us at itsaqueerthang, T-H-A-N-G at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook as well and on Instagram. And we'd love to hear from you. What are your advent calendars? What are your holiday traditions? Will you be watching the Hallmark movies? I am excited that they exist. But I don't have the Hallmark channel. So unless somebody oh, out there. I do. I'll oh. watch them, even though I hate those movies. But I'll watch them just so we can make fun of them. Okay. How about this? I will bring the whiskey and you will provide Hallmark and we will watch Hallmark movies together. It's a deal. Let's do it. Guys, we'll see you in a couple of weeks on our next show, which is um, live on the radio and podcast the next day. 
Merry Christmas. Yeah. Happy Yule. Happy Holidays. <laughs> Is that right? I don't know. I don't watch Doctor Who, so I don't know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, Is exactly. That That's okay. like the sound the spaceship makes.